Sometimes bigger is better. Yelp has the largest restaurant consumer network in the U.S. Now hungry guests can find you on Yelp, Google Maps, and anywhere they're searching. Leverage Yelp Guest Manager to be seen by 64 million more consumers than OpenTable. To supercharge your restaurant, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp today. Comscore Media Metrics, based on Yelp Guest Manager, reserved with Google, and OpenTable monthly average number of visitors in the U.S. 2022. Now here we go. If you have a piece of it, it becomes yours. And it doesn't matter whether it's 1% or 100%. It just becomes yours. And you have something to work toward because you know that if you have a little bit of a taste, it becomes an addiction. You want more. You want more than just a taste. You want a little bit more of the action. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Are you on track to hit your profitability goals for this year? If you're struggling to hit your numbers, I might be able to help. Here's how I do it. Every year, I offer five complimentary growth sessions to restaurant owners looking to scale. In this call, we'll examine your current situation to see what is and isn't working. We'll identify your growth possibilities by the close of the year. We'll uncover the number one thing holding you and your business back. And we'll develop a growth plan that will get your business results. Go to planwithjosh.com to schedule one of the five complimentary growth sessions. They're going to go quickly. They always do. The numbers tell the story. Statistically, it's nearly impossible to scale massively within our industry, which is why so few do so. Keith Benjamin is the exception. With over 15 locations under his belt, Keith and his partners have broken the mold by systematizing that it factor that we're all looking to achieve. In today's conversation, we discuss how to build with intention, the tools to create massive awareness, and the essential elements of a cool concept. I went to Penn State, I played lacrosse there, and anyone that's attended a Big Ten school or Pac-12 or SEC, ACC, any of these big schools, they know what the party component is, if you will. And I immediately fell in love with the energy, the activity, the school pride, all those things that are packaged into going to Penn State. And right off the rip, I joined my fraternity and I walked onto my lacrosse team and I was just absolutely blown away by the school spirit and parties that were going on and the gatherings that seemed to be in place all the time. And I wanted to be a part of it, but not only did I want to be a part of it, but I wanted to be one of the folks who were promoting it and helping to throw these parties. And so I actually, in short order, became our tailgate czar at my fraternity, which is a funny title, but it kind of had me really in my first event planning role, if you will, where I was responsible for the tailgate for up to 500 people before all of our home games at Penn State. We would buy a pallet of beer, Natty Light, back in the days, and do a grocery store run. We'd buy about $1,500 worth of groceries. We'd take it back to the fraternity house and marinate all the meat and then lock it up in the walk-in fridge so that nobody got their hands on it late night before the tailgate. And then the next morning, we'd wake up at 6.30 in the morning, regardless of whether the game was a noon kickoff, 3.30, or a night game. We got going really early, and we'd set up the tailgate, we'd start making breakfast. 
that was really my first taste of party planning and planning events. And kind of to fast forward a little bit, Josh, I graduated from Penn State in the spring of 2006. I took a job in sports marketing in New York City. And I wanted to, in short order, move out of my mom's house in Short Hills, New Jersey, which is about 25 minutes outside New York City. And I was making $28,000 a year in my sports marketing job. And needless to say, even in 2006, that certainly wasn't going to get me an apartment in New York City. And so I knew that I had to pick up another second job, if you will. And I had a friend who's now my business partner all these years later, but I had a friend who was a partner at Off the Wagon, which is a bar in Greenwich Village, New York City. And it's an absolute staple. It's been around since 1998. And his name's Danny Thomases, and Danny gave me my shot. And he said, listen, if you need to make a little bit of extra money, get out of your mom's house and move to the city. I'm happy to hire you on at the bar back, maybe bartend once a week, put some money in your pocket and go from there. And so sure enough, I started bartending, barbacking right out of school. Um, I was working some long, long days. I was working my day job from a.m. to 5 p.m. I'd go home, take a nap, come back at 9 p.m. and then close the bar at 4 o'clock in the morning only to get home at 6 o'clock. But it gave me the money that I needed to move into the city. And it also, more importantly, gave me my first taste of the nightlife industry. And to say that I was really fortunate to have the experience I had at Penn State, but then to be in Greenwich Village at a bar like Off the Wagon, which had become iconic in short order, I truly felt fortunate because I think that if I had worked at a small corner bistro, I wasn't really a restaurant guy. It wasn't in my DNA. It didn't really ever appeal to me. But the energy at the bar really appealed to me right away. And it made me want to continue to explore what might be down that path. So kind of in a strange twist of fate in 2008, the sports marketing agency I was working for folded, as did the our world economy. And I was left with a decision as to whether to go look for another job in, in sports marketing or perhaps pursue a life in the restaurant nightlife business. And I went to Danny and I said, listen, I don't know what I'm going to do moving forward, but in the interim, I'd like to pick up some more shifts at Off the Wagon. And he said, we don't have anything for you here, but we're opening up a new bar to stumble in on the Upper East Side. And I could certainly use you as part of the opening staff up there. And that's kind of where I started. I went up to the Stumble Inn in 2008. It was the spring of 2008. And as they say, Josh, the rest is history. I don't know how in-depth you want me to go in terms of the path from 2008 to today, but that's what I went all in. It's a beautiful story. And so much of the story, I'm sure, resonates with people because I interview folks for the show. They graduated from the top of their class from Cornell University, right? And that's where they got their chops and how they became amazing restaurateurs. But just as many, maybe more, have your story where their practical application happened through working within the industry and they slowly but surely worked their way up through the ranks. But as you know, and I'm sure that that you employ many folks that have had a similar path, but chose not to go the path of an entrepreneur, chose to manage or to manage a group at a high level. Not everybody chooses to take the entrepreneurial leap, especially when you see how high the risks are, even when you're playing with other people's money. And so what inspired you to take the entrepreneurial leap? When I was getting my feet wet at the Stumble Inn in 2008, the folks, the partners who are now my partners at the time asked if I wanted to manage right off the rip. And I said, you know what, guys, I don't want to manage right now. I want to figure out if this is exactly what I want to be doing with my life. And I certainly don't want to lead you on in terms of doing something that 
I might just kind of do for a few months and then I get my quote unquote real job and back in corporate America. So I really kind of pushed the pause button on that. That was 2009 and let them know that if, sorry, 2008 and let them know that if I was interested, it was going to be in a capacity of going all in. And so fast forward to 2009, it was the fall of 2009. And I approached the guys and I said, listen, if there's an opportunity for me to manage the stumble in, great. But but at the end of the day, I want to know what my growth looks like here. And if there's an opportunity for me to be a partner in the business, because if there is, count me in. If there's not, frankly, I don't want to just be a bar manager. The stumble is not a fine dining restaurant. It's a very, very busy bar on the Upper East Side. It requires long days and late nights and going to bed at six, seven o'clock in the morning and waking up at four o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, it's not for the faint of heart. And I think that what I really want to make clear to the folks listening is that I am not a stereotypical restaurateur. I am by trade and training, I'm a nightlife operator. And so it really requires a certain type of person that wants to sacrifice time with their friends, with their family, with all of the folks around them that have those kind of conventional nine to fives, especially in New York City, especially graduating from Penn State, where all of my friends had moved to New York and had these nine to fives and they were going out on the weekends. I had to give all of that up. And the only way that I felt comfortable, Josh, giving that up and giving up the conventional lifestyle is knowing that I would be able to chart a path for myself well into the future. So when I approached the guys in 2009, I said, what does the partnership track look like? And they said, you know what, Keith, we would love to have you as a partner. You need to save up your money. You need to let us know kind of what you want out of this and what you see your future being. And I think in short order, should you continue to prove yourself, we will give you that opportunity. And so I had several bucks saved up from my bar mitzvah several years before. And my parents did a good job of not allowing me to touch that money. I drained my bar mitzvah fund and I worked really hard and I invested my first ever big chunk of change at the age of 27 years old to buy a very small percentage in the stumble in on the Upper East Side. And it felt great because here I went from being an opening bartender at this place to then being a manager to now having a piece of the action. And Josh, you've been doing this long enough that it's a lot different walking into a store that you have a piece of rather than a store where you are working for the folks that own the joint, right? And so now I have this chip on my shoulder saying, you know what, everything I do, everything I put into this place can have a direct impact on my pocket. And that felt really, really good. And it's something that I have held on to all these years as I've continued to grow our group here in Charleston just the fact that if you have a piece of it, it becomes yours. And it doesn't matter whether it's 1% or 100%. It just becomes yours. And you have something to work toward because you know that if you have a little bit of a taste, it becomes an addiction. You want more. You want more than just a taste. You want a little bit more of the action. And shortly thereafter, my business partners who started the group, Mitch Banchik and Michael Ash, signed a lease for a bar that is now known as the Hair of the Dog on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, they asked me if I would go run it as the operating partner, majority partner running that location. I, I jumped at the opportunity. I was in my late 20s. I moved down to the Lower East Side to be closer, a corner of Orchard and Stanton. And the place took off right away. And it talk about that addiction, right? You see the volume right off the rip. We'd opened in October of 20, uh, what was it? October of 2012, Hurricane Sandy was the only thing that stopped us. We had been open for about three weeks when Hurricane Sandy hit. 
we had to close for about a week. And right after that, Josh, we were off to the races. The place was an absolute gong show. It was crazy. There was a line around the block. And my first moment of opening or since getting involved in the business, after opening Hair of the Dog, where I truly felt like I was where I was meant to be. And it was really how, you know, at, at 28, 29 years old, but I'm starting to wonder what my future looks like. Because now I'm a majority partner at this location on the Lower East Side, but I still answer to these two founding partners, Mitch and Michael, and they've opened now eight locations at this point in New York City and a few places in Chicago. And I really felt this fire burning inside of me, Josh, in the sense that I was like, what has happened here in New York, what has been built, this group, which is known as Eat, Drink, Be Merry Hospitality, has had tremendous success over the years. And they've grown and they've grown and they've grown. And there's been a playbook that has worked out tremendously well, but it's not mine. I don't have exclusive ownership. Not that I do now. I'm part of a wonderful partnership, but I didn't start this. And kind of from an early age, Josh, I became a person that really liked to go out there. And it's, I guess it's the entrepreneurial spirit and create my own luck and chart my own path. And so after a few years of being open at Hair of the Dog, I approached Mitch and Michael and I said, guys, I am having an absolute blast running Hair of the Dog, but the rents are skyrocketing in New York City. The payroll costs are, are exorbitant. They're talking about eliminating the tip credit, which I think is, is certainly a discussion for another day. But it certainly makes life more difficult. And I started to kind of think about an opportunity that I might have somewhere else. And so I approached these guys and I said, listen, I got married in Charleston to my now ex-wife, but I fell in love with the town and I felt like there had always been an opening for a place like A Hair of the Dog or The Stumble Inn. And I'd like you guys to entertain it. And they said, just for context, this was 2016. They said, Keith, what research have you done? And I had done a tremendous amount of research. And I brought them a deck and I said, these are the economic trends. These are the tourism numbers. These are the folks that are moving here daily. And I think there's something there for us. And Josh, within a week, we were on a plane coming down to Charleston. And about a week after that, we had an LOI signed for what is now Uptown Social. 10,000 square feet. The building dates back to 1915, has wonderful, wonderful history right in the heart of Charleston on Upper King Street. The funny thing is that when we started looking down here, we said, we need a place that's like 3,000, 4,000 square feet, gives us enough room to throw a party, gives us enough room for a nice dining room during the day, watching sports, a little bit of a dance floor. And of course, our kitchen storage and bathrooms will be downstairs. Well, when we arrived in Charleston for that first trip, we quickly realized that here in the low country, there are no basements because of the flooding risks and the hurricane risks. And so that 4,000 square feet automatically went to 8,000 square feet in terms of what we were looking for and what we felt like we really needed. Because as you know, the, the kitchen storage and bathrooms takes up a tremendous amount of space. And so as we were looking at this building, which I'm actually sitting in right now, Uptown Social, we said, this is... <laughs> 10,000 square feet, rooftop, two floors, two event spaces, a main dining room that's about 6,000 square feet. This is more than we could have ever imagined. But you know what? Go big or go home. And we signed that LOI within a week. And we were had a lease signed about five months later, started construction. 
and we opened up to the public in April of 2018. So from the time that I came down to Charleston for my first look in 2016 to the time we opened our doors was a full two years. That is a massive commitment. Was it hard to keep the momentum up during that period? Yeah, it was. And also, I was going through some personal changes. As I mentioned, I was married once before. I've since remarried. My wife, Stevie, is my best mate. And we have two kids who are two and a half. And our daughter is almost one years old. And it's been a whirlwind. I got divorced in mid-2017. I moved to Charleston in late 2017. We opened Uptown Social in 2018. We have since opened ShareHouse, which is another daytime slash nightlife venue, which specializes in the epic parties that we throw here at Uptown Social. And then we opened a breakfast spot, Bodega Breakfast and Lunch Spot, which was a pop-up similar to your story, Josh. We created this pop-up out of Uptown Social in 2020, kind of paying homage to our roots in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and having these incredible, growing up with these incredible breakfast sandwiches on Kaiser Rolls. They didn't exist here in Charleston. So we started as, as a pop-up during the pandemic. And one thing led to another, and we had a brick and mortar in February of 2022 that shares a space with ShareHouse. So ShareHouse takes up two-thirds of an old train depot dating back to 1849, and Bodega takes up the last third. And it's been just really, really cool to kind of wrap my head around the restaurant business. Because as I said, I have to this point almost exclusively been a nightlife operator. But now we have this breakfast and lunch cafe, which has been doing really well and so well that we just signed another lease to open a second bodega right over the bridge in Mount Pleasant. So the hope with that would be to scale our breakfast and lunch concept, hopefully grow that while we continue on a parallel track with our nightlife business. Time and time again, I see restaurateurs opening new concepts and repeating old mistakes. The most powerful tool we have is the experience of experts we can trust. Mike Benson and the team from Southern California Restaurant Design Group have built literally hundreds of restaurants and have worked with the best in the biz. Exclusively for Full Comp listeners, Mike and his team have crafted the essential checklist to opening a restaurant. This free guide explains in detail the steps we should take to complete our next project on time and on budget. Go to SoCalRestaurantDesign.com forward slash full comp to download this powerful free resource today. Let's talk about that because I ran nightclubs in Hollywood in the early 2000s. My first independent concept was a dive bar in Hollywood that financed every subsequent project because that's just the beauty of nightlife. But as I got older, especially when I had a kid, my priorities changed. Not that it wasn't important to scale, not that it wasn't important to make money, but dining is harder in so many ways, but it's also a lot easier than nightlife and there's less liability. And when I was running nightclubs, I was in my early to mid 20s. When I opened my first bar, it was mine. I was in my early 30s. And by the time I hit 40, I was just in a very different place in my life. And I struggled to figure out how to reconcile owning this thing that I was less in love with relative to my interests, which had changed. I had gotten into fast casual. I had gotten into fine dining. How has that transition been for you, knowing that your personal life, as it evolves, it certainly changes your focusing your priorities professionally? 
I'm going to answer it best I can, which is that I'm now 40. You talked about your 20s, your 30s, and then your 40s. And I turned 40 in January and two young kids. But, you know, at the crux of it, Josh, I think about what does make me happy and what does get me out of bed in the morning. And, and the fact that we are now diversifying our portfolio and not just hanging our hat on the nightlife business, but also growing this breakfast and lunch concept with Bodega keeps things really fresh. And the other part of this, which I can't stress enough, is the value of our bench. And what I mean by that is when I was given my shot at the Stumble Inn in 2008, 2009, and then bought in in 2011, it was because Mitch and Michael and Danny and the people that had come before me saw the value in growing the company from within and giving people a, a piece of that business, right? And so here in Charleston, we started in 2018, came down here with three partners. Three of us moved down here from New York City. Since then, it's now October of 2023. By this time next year, we will have six places open in six years and we will have 14 partners. And that's my bench. My bench is my partnership. On top of my 14, or I guess it would be 13 partners, including myself, we also have 25 some odd managers. And so what that does, what that depth, what that bench does for me and for our company is it allows us to scale. It allows us to grow. But in terms of what it does for me personally, is it allows me to take a bit of a step back and not have to worry about being at the door on a busy night when Uptown Social has several hundred people coming through the turnstile. And I don't have to stand there with the clicker and with the scanner greeting every single customer that comes in and deal with the ice machine that goes down and a speaker that blows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until we close our doors at two o'clock in the morning. We have younger partners now who are doing what I used to do at the Stumble Inn and then Hair of the Dog in 2010 to 2015, 16, that are loving what they do and are sinking their teeth into the industry, but they also have a piece of it. And so I'm the oldest partner here based in Charleston. The average age of our partnership, Josh, in Charleston is 28 years old. That's crazy. And I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of our group. I'm proud of the energy that they bring to the table every day. But I guess I'm grateful for having this young, energetic, passionate group of people who love what they do as much as I love what I do. And we all come together for a common purpose of growing this business and scaling. And we all have different roles. And my role now is to manage the group from 30,000 feet and work with my partners at each individual location to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. We have a great system of checks and balances. We all hold each other accountable. The culture is so very important and we preach that daily. And, and at the end of the day, Josh, it's fun. I mean, really, what we do is a lot of fun. And when you talk about the great responsibility of doing what you do and telling the stories and being that microphone and that vehicle for other folks like me to tell their stories, I look at what we do as a tremendous responsibility because what we're providing, whether it be at, at midnight on the dance floor or at noon for a football game at Uptown Social or Share House or 8 a.m. for bacon, egg, and cheese. We're providing an escape from everybody's life. And whatever goes on outside of our four walls, wherever they might be, whether it's Uptown Social, Share House, or Bodega, there's a lot going on out there, right? And five days after what just happened in Israel and on our own soil, there's a tremendous amount going on. And 
the ability to walk into a bar or walk into a restaurant and spend your hard-earned money on an experience is a responsibility for me and my team as the operators. But as I tell the group daily, we're here to provide fun. And how cool is that? Oh, it's amazing. We take that really seriously. And because of that, we work really hard to challenge ourselves to make sure that we are staying at the forefront of our industry and providing that fun experience day in and day out. When I was running nightclubs in Hollywood, they were 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 square feet. You throw a few hundred people into that place and it looks sparse. It looks empty. One of the struggles with opening a big thing is that you have to have that it factor. You have to have that momentum that drives huge crowds because you could have twice as many people as the next guy, but it looks empty and nobody wants to be in an empty place. I want you to talk to me about how you consistently create this it factor with your locations, how you create awareness and demand for the things that you build. Yeah, so we have a remarkable social media and marketing team that I sit at the top of with my business partner, Kara Graves, who also moved down here with me from New York City. We have meetings weekly. Um, first of all, we have management meetings weekly at, at each one of our stores. And then we have a social media meeting where there's no less than 10 people at the table for each one of these meetings. These meetings last anywhere from an hour to two hours. We have uh, two women that we hired internally that are salaried employees that are, you know, work 40 to 50 hours a week as our directors of marketing and social media. They report to both Kara and myself. And then we have a social media coordinator for each concept. And then we have, we're in a college town. So Charleston is a college town with the College of Charleston. And we have several students that will sit with us and bring new cutting edge ideas and trends to the table. So while it's not all social media, it's no secret that social media plays a big part in what we're doing. And unlike Los Angeles, unlike New York City, we're in Charleston, which is a captive market. And what I mean by that is it's a much smaller city than a Vegas, a New York, a Los Angeles, Miami, et cetera. There's much fewer options. So what we try to do is we try to make sure that if you're getting off an airplane as a tourist, our places are at the top of the list, period, no matter what. If you live here, that when you're trying to decide where you're going to go out, where you're going to hang out, where you're going to spend your money, and you're scrolling on Instagram, you're like, oh yeah, right. I'm going to Uptown Social tonight. I'm going to Share House tonight. I'm going to Bodega tomorrow for breakfast. And so we're always challenging each other, trying to figure out what those trends are, what's going to be the hook to get people in the door. But then what happens when they walk in the door, right? And how do you, at Uptown Social with 10,000 square feet and two levels and, and a rooftop, we need several different spaces within the one building to be full all at the same time. And Funny enough, we work with a group called Bar Glance. And have you heard of Bar Glance, Josh? I haven't. What is it? So Bar Glance is an app that has been created to set up cameras in bars and restaurants, but primarily bars, so that folks can log on through the camera to see if a place is busy or not so busy. And if it's maybe not so busy, they might be more apt to come because it's not as crazy, right? but maybe they're looking for that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder vibe and they can go on to Bar Glance and check out how packed it might be. It's a really cool app, but as you mentioned, the challenge of filling the place and the perception of what it looks like when it's not so full, 
it's definitely important to think about the fact that people are actually seeking that information. And that's how Bar Glance does as well as they're doing these days. And so what we're doing is we're creating the buzz through social, through our marketing efforts. But then when they come in, what we have created in all of our locations, but primary to Uptown Social and ShareHouse is an entertainment experience that is incomparable to any other experience you might find in Charleston. And so for an example, on a Saturday night at Uptown Social, we'll have a band on downstairs from 9pm to 11pm. We then have a DJ go on from 11 o'clock to close. We have a rooftop DJ from 7pm to 11pm. And then we have a DJ in one of our private event spaces from 10 o'clock to 2am. So we have all of these different components to what we're offering as a whole. And if you want a DJ, you can find the DJ. If you want live music, you can find that live music. If you want to come a little bit earlier and eat New York style pizza and chicken wings, we've got that too. So it's really wearing many different hats and checking off all of the different day parts to make sure that when you have a space this large, we're not just a nightclub. We kind of consider ourselves a one-stop shop from the time we open our doors at noon daily to the time we close at 2 a.m. So that's 14 hours where obviously on a Tuesday, we don't have programming in place. But on a Saturday from noon to 2 a.m., we have programming, we have activations, we have partnerships set up with lots of different brands, whether they be liquor brands or lifestyle brands like a Chubby's or teaming up with several different folks, perhaps from Southern Charm, which is a big show on Bravo. And those guys are here locally. And we might work on something with those guys because it's so popular with the tourists that come into Charleston. So we're always putting our heads together to figure out what the most creative product we can put out there is. And that gives us our best chance to fill the building. The restaurant industry is filled with all of these unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. You weren't born in the industry. You were steeped in nightlife. And now you've dipped your toe in those waters. When you look at the industry generally, how would you like to see us collectively turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? That's something that I work at day in and day out. I sit on two different boards. I'm on the Charleston Wine and Food Festival Board, which is a wonderful, wonderful festival that we throw here in Charleston every March for four days. If you haven't been, I highly recommend I also sit on the board of the Low Country Hospitality Association. And what my biggest challenge has been, Josh, since moving to, to Charleston, is finding synergy between nightlife operators and restaurant operators. Because I think by nature, the nightlife folks get the short end of the stick. We're, we're looked at as the people who throw the parties, who maybe aren't as savvy or as talented in the restaurant space maybe didn't go and receive that formal education from a place like CIA or Johnson & Wales or Cornell. And at the end of the day, what are we really doing, right? We're, we're putting a DJ out there and letting people dance. No, I mean, there's so much more than that. And we have an amazing kitchen. We have a catering component to what we do. We host massive events weekly. We have an event team. We have a marketing team. We have a social media team. We have all of this programming in place, this amazing live music component. There's so many things that we offer. And at the end of the day, when you look at Charleston, it's a small market. And I think that it really behooves us as we face tremendous challenges over the years, when you look at what COVID did and the challenges that that presented to us, 
and the liability concerns and liability insurance concerns and what we're all dealing with. And now that post-COVID boom has kind of shifted from domestic travel to international travel, it just behooves us all to work together, to share ideas. And if there's restaurant operators that feel like they can bring people to town, whether it be to move here permanently for the local culinary scene or to just visit on a weekend, and you pair those operators up with folks like me, who are then going to take the folks from the restaurant and show them a great time into the evening, then it really truly benefits all of us because what is it? The rising tide floats all boats or something like that. I don't know if that's the exact saying, but I think that certainly if we're all working together, it behooves the entire industry and we all stand to be busier and busier if everybody is having similar success. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with guest manager in Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Keith Benjamin. For more information on his restaurant group, visit uptownhospitality.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.